0: We'll see. So my brother, David Brockman. Is he here this morning? He's not here, is he? David has been an incredible encouragement to me, along with other people, but him specifically has made it a point to come to me um, when I fill in for Jonathan on Sunday mornings in our Sunday school class and really just encouraged me to quit trying to be so eloquent and trying to be perfect in, your, in the way you talk to everybody and the way you present your message. And just speak and, and be in the moment where God has you. Spence has been teaching out of the book of Jude. I'm not going to carry that on. I'm going to allow Spence to continue on when he wants to and when he's available. So I'm going to do exactly what David encourages me to do. And that is to talk to you about what God has been speaking to me about this past week and speaking very hard. And I will say that some of this message started back at Pat's funeral. And I keep saying this, and I think it's kind of interesting that it keeps resurfacing in my daily walk. And I think there's something to that. And Spence, I've said this before, and if you are at the, at the service for, for Pat, He asked a question, what are you doing with your life? What are you doing? So I'm going to pose that question to you as well this morning. Because I keep hearing that in my walk. We're going to be in Exodus, by the way, before I forget to tell you that. Primarily in the chapter 3 and 4, but I'm going to be in also in 2. Don't worry, I'm not going to be giving a super long... um, in-depth discussion of Exodus. Um, But we're going to be going over some of Moses' life, and I'm going to be taking some of those pieces uh, in that story in chapter 3 and chapter 4. But not only what are you doing with your life, the one and only life that we have to live, as short or as long as it might be, We don't always know whether we're going left, we're going right, up or down. We don't know what direction he has us going in. So what are we supposed to do? What do we do when we don't know where we're headed? Does anybody in here, can you honestly raise your hand and say you've got it figured out? Can anybody? I did not think so. That's Okay, we're not supposed to. We're not supposed to. So the other question I wanted to pose, and, and, and I, I apologize as well. I, I had two days to prepare for this, which is uh, unordinary for me. I usually tell Spence, I'll preach for you if I have two weeks. So I don't have anything prepared. I think there's still an open spot for your notes. But the questions are, what are you doing with your life? What is the next thing that God is calling you to? We'll find out what Moses' next thing was here in just a few minutes. But one of the things that I want you to know this morning and take away from it is that there is wisdom in trusting God. There's wisdom in trusting God. I didn't know how far to go back to recap the life of Moses, so I'm going to quickly, because most of us know the life of Moses. We come out of the book of Genesis. The Israelites are growing in numbers. But becoming more fruitful, Pharaoh at the time is getting a little bit insecure about those numbers, and about that fruitfulness. And what does he do? He says, "I've got to change that. I've got to hold them down." I don't know if any of you know anybody in your life that is one of those people that says they're out to get me, or. I better take care of something before somebody has more authority than me. Or Brandon knows the man that I work for, and I deal with it on a daily basis. But this guy truly believes that if he does not hold the hammer over people, then they will take advantage of him. Like, I've got to be the one in authority. And it comes out in how he treats people. So I live with that. And that's, I mean, the last five weeks of my life since we started a new project. He's, he's got a great side to him. But man, not everybody is out to get us. Pharaoh didn't want the Israelites growing anymore. So what did he do? He says, kill all the babies, right? Get rid of them. Two and under. The maid servants were like, nah, I don't know if I want to do that. So they didn't. A little more time goes on. They continue to grow. And he says, fine, let's get rid of them all. And he puts out a decree and says, let's take care of this problem. Well, Moses' mom said, I don't think so. Um, No way. Wraps them up, puts them in a basket, sends them down the river. We all know the story, right? The thing that I really find awesome about this story his Pharaoh's daughter is the one that finds him, goes back, says, I want to keep this baby, puppy. I want to keep him. What do I do? Fine. Find somebody to raise him. And this is the, the amazingness of God's sovereignty is that the very woman that put him in the river is the same one that raised him, that nursed him. Tell me, God did not have a plan in that. Amen. Tell me. That's God's sovereignty. The very same woman that put him in the basket is the same one that raised him. He grows up. We don't really know how long he's been living, how old he is. He's passionate about the Hebrew people. Sees an Egyptian beating down one of his brothers, and he kills the Egyptian. Not going to have it. Kills him. And then what does he do? He flees. Right? He's worried they're going to find out, kills him, so he runs. Ends up getting married, goes to work for his father-in-law herding sheep. Hmm. I can imagine that going from being the prince of Egypt living in Pharaoh's house to herding sheep for the last 40 years, he's probably after this time thinking, wow, this is what my life has come to. Because of one bad decision that I made, my life changed and it's over. Maybe not by death, but it's over. Hmm. Have you ever felt that way before? Has anybody? Like one bad decision has altered my life and now what? This is what it's come to. Well, Sometimes God uses that passion, the same passion that Moses had when he killed the Egyptian, or maybe sometimes he uses what gets us in trouble for his glory. If you would turn with me to Exodus 2, I'll be reading from verse 23 here, which is the end of chapter 2. And in verse 23, it says, Years passed, and the king of Egypt died. But the Israelites continued to groan under their burden of slavery. They cried out for help, and their cry rose up to God. God heard their groaning, and He remembered His covenant promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He looked down on the people of Israel and knew it was time to act. Some of you in this room this morning might be going through an extremely hard time right now. But what you need to hear this morning, and I hope it, if that's you, that you hear this, that God sees you, that He hears you, and that He knows. He hears you, and He sees you, and He knows exactly what you're going through. Right here. He heard their groaning and he remembered his covenant promise and decided it was time to act. Maybe that's you that needs to hear that. Just know that he knows and he's listening to your cries and your pleas for help. But also remember it's not necessarily in your timing. Thursday wasn't a very good time for me to to just say, yeah, I'll preach. Timing. God's timing. So you may be praying, God, pull me out of this pit, out of this affliction that I'm feeling right now. And Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday comes along. You still haven't got an answer. You still don't know anything. It's his timing. He knows it. He hears you. Keep crying out for him. Keep pleading with Him. Keep praying with Him. Keep spending time with Him. He hears you. Chapter 3, verse 1. One day Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. Moses probably thought this is just another ordinary day. Ho-hum, herding sheep, pushing sheep across the mountainside. And again, here he goes from prince of Egypt to 40 years of herding sheep. Can't imagine. I don't like sheep. Never did. We always had them in our barn, but I didn't like them. Glad I didn't have to make a living herding them. And I'm pretty sure that, that Moses was just not Not very excited, but he probably thought that today, of all days, was just another ordinary day. All because he made a bad decision. And with one decision like that, everything changed. And now he probably was feeling worthless. ever feel like that so let me let me give you something really profound this morning that you're here you're here I know that's amazing isn't it but you were there because of some decision that you made or multiple decisions you made or decisions other people made you're no longer there you're here And the better news about that is that no matter where you are, no matter where you're here is, it could be here, it could be online, it could be somewhere. Wherever you're here is, God is here as well. That's comfort to me. Because my here is not always a place that I want to be. I'm thankful that I'm here this morning. I'm thankful I got to hear that, that worship and... and And I'm thankful that God has spoke to me this last week on something that that I needed to hear. Because now I'm here and I can't escape him. And Some of you think that today is just another ordinary day in your life as well. You came to church. Praise God. You're going to go home and take your Sunday nap. Hallelujah. I don't do naps. Maybe you're going to watch your favorite team win a game today. Praise God. Just another ordinary day. But for some of you, today is going to be the day that your life changes. That you're going to look back 20 years, 5 years, 10 years, and you're going to look back at this day in December of 2022 and say, that's the day that my life changed. It's not just an ordinary day. It's not just ordinary for us to be sitting here, for you all to be staring at me while I'm talking, that you're praising Jesus with beautiful music. It's not ordinary. Today might be the day that God calls you to your next big thing. Verse 2, chapter 3. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. Moses stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. I know most of us have sat around a campfire before, right? So, men, we like fire. We're drawn to it. Stand around a campfire with a bunch of people, what happens? We just stare at it. We're drawn to it. And we'll be talking to somebody over here, but we're fixated on the fire. We're fixated on that. We're watching the coals burn. We're drawn to it like Moses was. Verse 3, this is amazing. Moses said to himself, why isn't that bush burning up? I must go see it. <laughs> so years ago, and I'm, I'm relating this to me, I must go see it. My sister and I, we live in Colorado Springs. I'm taking some classes at a community college on the south side of Colorado Springs, uh, Pikes Peak Community College, right down by Fort Carson. And uh, we're going to class. My sister and I, we weren't the greatest students, but we're making an effort. But there was a raging fire south of Fountain Security Area down in that area. I mean, it was a big fire. And we're coming down I-25, and I'm like, Fire. we didn't make it to class that day I was drawn, I had to go see the fire and that's what Moses, I could so picture that I must go see (laughs) and when the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look God called to him from the middle of the bush Moses, Moses here I am, Moses replied do not come any closer, the Lord warned Take off your sandals for you're standing on holy ground. I am the God your Father, God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And when Moses heard this, he covered his face because he was afraid to look. Let me ask you all, how many times do you think Moses in those 40 years might have passed a burning bush and never noticed it? How many times do you guys pass that burning bush in your life, and you never notice it. This day, he noticed it. This day was different. I tell my wife and kids on a regular basis, be careful when you go out And you're at the mall, you're at the grocery store, you're walking through the parking lot. we got our nose buried in our phones. we got our nose just wherever it is. We're not paying attention to our surroundings. Number one, I tell them that for safety. Because back when I was 16, my aunt, and it still gets me, my aunt was abducted from a parking lot because she wasn't paying attention. And that guy did terrible things to her. So I worry about my wife and kids when we're walking around like this. No idea what's going on around you. But when I'm reading this, are we missing the opportunity that God's putting right in front of us? Not just the safety warnings, which, by the way, we should never do that. Always be aware of your surroundings because there's bad people out there. But there's also opportunities that God might be trying to get you to see. And maybe that's your next big thing. Verse seven. Then the Lord told him, "I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt until into their own fertile and spacious land. It is a land flowing with milk and honey. The land where the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites now live." Look, the cry of the people of Israel has reached me, and I have seen how harshly the Egyptians abused them. Again, if you're suffering, God is seeing you. He's reiterating this again. God's hearing you, and God knows, and He has a plan for you. And through all of that, I imagine Moses is sitting there going, great, I'm glad you're going to pull the Egyptians out of their affliction. What does that have to do with me? Awesome. Great. Go do your thing. What does that have to do with me? Why? Why? Because God loves to use his people to accomplish his purpose. He loves to. Does he need it? No. But he loves to partner with us. He loves to use us to do his will on earth. And what does it require of us? We just have to be obedient. Obedience. I don't know about you all, but I struggle with obedience. I talked about this a couple weeks ago when I covered for Jonathan. I, I struggle with obedience. God's telling me, help this family out on Tinker. Young guy and his wife, they don't have a whole lot of money. Any of you served in the military, you know you don't make a whole lot. He's a young airman. Be obedient. And if God's telling you to bless him for Christmas, then bless him for Christmas. Be obedient. Verse 10. Now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people Israel out of Egypt which is really where I've been sitting this week. And this is where I think a lot of us can really relate where this becomes practical to us. Because through these next series of verses, Moses is going to have four or five excuses why he can't do it now I'll ask you raise your hand if you make excuses why you can't do God's work when he calls you to it and if you didn't raise your hand it's fine good for you I make excuses verse 11 but Moses protested to God I don't know what your translations say but mine says protested and that. A pretty strong word. Who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? Which takes me to my first point here. And it starts off that by saying, but Moses. So when we look through scripture and we see, but God, I equate that with something good is fixing to happen. But when I say, but I, or but me, or but Moses, or but Steve, or but any of you. It's not always going to be so good. It's usually on the other side of that. And it says, but Moses. Now let me ask you this. We talk about excuses. Like when I watch movies, or I listen to podcasts, or I... I read stories or something. I try to put myself into whatever it is that I'm listening to or I try to become a character in there. And I try to imagine how in the world can you stand there glaring into a bush that's burning with God speaking out of it and you still find excuses. Like, if I'm there, how do you walk beside Jesus for all those years of his ministry and still deny Him. How do you see Him do all of that? I don't know. I'd like to think that if Jesus was here walking beside me, I would definitely not have an excuse. <laughs> Probably still would. The burning bush, it's always telling us that we need to love God We need to love our neighbors, husbands, love your wives, as God loved His church. And it's also telling us that we need to take the gospel to the very ends of the earth and to make disciples. Today was not another ordinary day for Moses, and today is not another ordinary day for us. So His first excuse... I'm not enough. What if I don't have what it takes? Men, it's one of my biggest fears. I don't know about y'all, but I don't know about women. I can only speak for me and and probably a lot of men. That is one of our biggest fears is that somebody's going to see through our heart exterior and they're going to find out that we don't have what it takes. Or we're going to fail. I'm not enough. What if I don't have what it takes? Verse 12, God answered, I will be with you, and this is your sign that I am the one who has sent you. And when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God at this very mountain. What if they don't believe me? God will always be with us. verse 13 We go in again. But Moses protested, If I go to the people of Israel and tell them the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they will ask me, "What is his name?" Then what should I tell them? Excuse number 2, what if they don't believe me? What does he tell them? Tell them Yahweh sent me, sent you. I am The great I am. That's what God replied to Moses in verse 14. Tell them, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel. Yahweh, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my eternal name, my name to remember for all generations He is to tell them that the same God that worked in all of those is the same God that's working in your life right now. What God tells Moses to do, he's not asking, what he's asking him to do is not a new thing. And he states that right there. I'm the same God over Jacob, Isaac, it's not new. It was just Moses' turn. So, church, what we're doing in the life of this church is not new. All of the forefathers that have gone before us, that have preached in this community, that have that have done the work of this community and, and surrounding areas, it's not new. It's just our turn. It's our turn. We'll go on and read number uh, verse 16. Now go and call together all the elders of Israel. Tell them, the Lord, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has appeared to me. He told me, I have been watching closely, and I see how the Egyptians are treating you. I have promised to rescue you from the oppression in Egypt. I will lead you to a land flowing with milk and honey, the land where the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites now live. The elders of Israel will accept your message. Then you and the elders must go to the king of Egypt and tell him. The Lord, the God of Hebrews, has met with us. So please let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. Verse 19, I'll go ahead and read that. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand forces him. So this is the great part. About so God tells Moses, go to Pharaoh and tell him to let my people go. And then he follows up by saying, oh, and by the way, it's not going to work. Awesome. It's not going to work unless what? Unless I make it work. Church, It's never going to work unless God makes it work. Nothing we do, no five-year plan for our church, no strategy for our church, no schedule for our church is going to work unless God makes it work. So I will raise my hand, verse 20, and strike the Egyptians performing all kinds of miracles among them then at last he will let you go. And I will cause the Egyptians to look favorably upon you. They will give you gifts when you go, so you will not leave empty-handed. Every Israelite woman will ask for articles of silver and gold and fine clothing from her Egyptian neighbors and from the foreign women in their houses. They've been asking for gold and silver for a long time. You will dress your sons and daughters with these, stripping the Egyptians of their wealth. One thing that really spoke to me, and I'm sure all of you have heard this before, so I hope I don't uh, disrespect you in any way. God will never give you more than you can handle. I don't like that saying. And some of you may use that, but let me give you a the whole basis of the gospel is that we can't handle it. We can't handle it without him. The gospel begins with the blessed or the poor in spirit. And when you realize that you're poor in spirit and you're bankrupt of that, and you need someone to do the things that you can't do, we can't handle it. What he's telling Moses is that without me, you're not going to do it. So trust me, and I'll do it. He'll do it if we partner with God and trust Him with everything in our life, the possibilities are endless. Move on to verse 4. I'm running out of time, so I'm going to try to bump through this a little quicker. But, but Moses protested again. Verse 1, what if they don't believe me or listen to me? What if they say the Lord never appeared? And then he says in verse 2, then the Lord asked him, what is in your hand? Excuse number 3, again, what if they don't believe me? What if it doesn't work? And what does he do? He says, what's that in your hand? Well, what was in his hand, church? The staff. I think the staff represented Moses' shame for his bad decisions and where he was at. He's like, what is that in your hand? The embarrassment going from where he was to where he is now. And church, God can use what you're most passionate and what you're ashamed of To accomplish his will and his purpose. So what's in your hand? I'll ask you all that. Bless you. What's in your hand? What are you ashamed of? What are you carrying around? Verse 3, he says... Throw it down on the ground, the Lord told him. So Moses threw down the staff, and it turned into a snake. Moses jumped back. Yeah, I'm with Spence. Don't like snakes. Jumping, I'm running. Jump back, especially because it was a stick, and now it's a snake. Ah, don't like snakes. Then the Lord told him, reach out and grab its tail. No. No, not trusting that. So Moses reached out. He, he was faithful and grabbed it and turned it back into a shepherd's staff in his hand. And through the next series of events, sticking his hand in his pocket, what he do you he do? Pull it out. Leprosy. Put it back in. It's clear. And he says, if, if you go to the people, show them the staff. And if that doesn't work, show them your hand. Show them the leprosy trick. And if that doesn't work, then pour out the water out of your hydro flask and it'll turn to blood. And if that doesn't work, he gives them a bag of tricks to go. He's always giving them something. There's always an answer from God. Why we can. So he's giving them that. And then we go, We go on to uh, verse 10. Let's move down to verse 10. But Moses pleaded with the Lord, O oh Lord, I'm not very good with words. I've never been and I'm not now. Even though you have spoken to me, I get tongue-tied and words get tangled. I talk a lot. But I worry that I'm just bleh, stuttering and mumbling through things and I worry about that. What does the Lord say? I don't. I'm the one that speaks well. I don't care if you stutter. I don't care if you stumble. I don't care if you're tongue-tied. I don't. Use me. I'm here. I'll take care of it. If you would, turn to 1 Corinthians. Because this also relates. I wanted to go back to this. 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, verse 26. And I'm sorry, I should have had, had Mark... Um, put these up for you guys but um, verse 26 in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 it says remember dear brothers and sisters that few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy and when God called you. Instead, God chose these things, chose things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise, and He chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful, and God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring nothing, what the world considered important. As a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. Boy, does that speak to me. I know it pretty firsthand because I'm not very wise. I'm not an eloquent speaker and I'm not powerful. But he uses the foolish and what is weak. He uses us because he is God and he wants us, he wants to use us to accomplish his will. Amen. We'll go back to verse 13 in chapter 4. But Moses again pleaded, Lord, please, this is great. Please just send somebody else. Thursday afternoon. Spence sent out the message I was telling you guys about earlier. I'm going to check my times. I think it's about 3.32 on Thursday afternoon. Spence sent out a message too. I was telling Van this this morning. He's cracking me up because we're on the same boat. Hey, guys, Jaylene's blood pressure's gone up. They're worried about it. They're going to induce tomorrow. Would any of you be willing to preach at 3.32 Thursday afternoon? Right away, Jimmy Weathers comes in and goes, Ha, I'm at the fire station. Awesome. You know, I'll be praying for you guys. <laughs> Sorry, I'm at the fire station. Right away. And I'm in my office connects on the job site. I'm working on my daily reports, trying to get everything ready for the end of the day. And the phone's just sitting there by my computer. And I'm just typing away, and it's just sitting there. And I keep waiting for Adam or Van to respond. And I wait, and they don't respond. And I'm like, man, I, 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 where you at, Adam? You know, and I told Van, don't take offense to this, please. Van, damn, Van doesn't want to preach. He doesn't want to have to stay. he will, I guarantee that brother will do anything you ask him to do. But that's just not, he's going to wait. And I'm waiting, and at 3.58, what's he been talking to me about? Dustin, he's been talking to me about my excuses and the very thing right there in front of me. I'm running through 30 minutes of excuses because at 3.58, I finally said, I don't have any. I'll do it. Two days notice to prepare a message. I'll do it and at 359 I don't even think 30 seconds went by. Adam jumped on there and he's like, "Awesome. I'll pray for you." I'm like, "You were waiting too." He was waiting too. And then he follows up and says, "But if I need to, I will." Like, you dog. <laughs> but I'm thankful because he got to lead worship this morning. I'm thankful. That this past week, the people that I listened to on my podcast in my hour-long drive to the city have spoke this into me this week. And God has spoke through his word on my excuses and why I constantly make excuses why I can't do something. You know, I'm very comfortable right here playing a guitar and singing. That's my thing. This is not my thing. I think it's God's thing, though. What are my excuses? So that was funny. It was in my face immediately. Verse 14, and I'm going I'm to, it's already, wow, time went quick. Then the Lord became angry with Moses after he said, please send somebody else. All right, he said, what about your brother Aaron the Levite? I know he speaks well. And look, he is on his way to meet you now. He will be delighted to see you. Ah, God's plan. He's already got it figured out. He's already got him in motion. Coming to meet him. Talk to him and put the words in his mouth. I will be with both of you as you speak, and I will instruct you both in what you do. Aaron will be your spokesperson to the people. He will be your mouthpiece, and you will stand in the place of God for him, telling him what to say. And take your shepherd's staff with you and use it to perform the miraculous signs I have shown you. No excuses, church. None. God is here. God is with you. He hears you. He sees you. What are you doing with your life? All those questions, oh, they've just been ch- just chomping on me all week. are we glad God is patient with us? Mm. How many times are we going to make excuses when God calls you to your next thing? Is today going to be the day That you listen to God's call for your next big thing. Maybe you've never answered a call at all. Maybe you don't even know Jesus. Maybe you don't have that relationship. Maybe you're in here and you've never heard the gospel. You're like, wow. Maybe today's that day. I pray it is. I pray that you stop making excuses why you can't listen to God's call in your life. And you answer it. And you say, okay, God, I, I got it. Maybe God's calling you something bigger outside of these walls. Some kind of missionary work. I don't know. He, he asked some people to sell all their possessions, didn't he? Take up your cross, follow me, sell all your possessions. Maybe he's asking you to do that. I don't know. What's your next thing? Are we going to get our noses out of the busyness of life? Especially these next, this next week. I mean, come on. My goodness, I've been shopping twice with my wife the last two nights. And it's just like, ugh. You know, I love being, not because I'm with my wife. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> She's not the, it's, it's the busyness. It's the people like, get out of my way. Walking around like this. Don't know even know where they're walking. Oh. And I'm Scrooge. I know, I'm a Scrooge. What's your next big call? So that's my challenge. What are you doing with your life? What are your excuses? Are you listening to God's call for the next big thing? When the text message comes across from your pastor or from a friend or something that says, hey, I need somebody, are you going to find an excuse? Van was in his truck. He had four more Deliveries to make throughout the state. Run and feed. Phone sitting next to him. Doing the same thing I was doing. Somebody's going to answer that call. Somebody's going to answer. uh, God sends somebody else to do that. God, don't make me do that. Church, are we listening to the next big thing? Are we listening to God's call on this place to be the church to teach the Bible to build families what are we doing with our life if today's your day that you need to answer God's call on your life whatever it looks like I pray it doesn't just have to be right here it can be later I mean this is not just the only place we answer God's call right here this is not the only place do it in your seat I don't care doesn't matter to me but if you're dealing, if God's dealing with you with something, let's, talk, let's get it done. Answer that call. If that's you today, I'd like to know about it. Tell somebody about it. Tell your friend. Tell the person you're sitting next to, if you're comfortable with, tell them. Let's deal with it. As Adam plays, a little bit of an invitation. I pray that you do use this time to deal with whatever it is, to listen to what He's talking to you about. And I pray that we would quit making excuses. Trust God. There's wisdom in that. Father, I do thank You. Father, I know I make excuses all the time. Forgive me for that.